Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This from the New King James Version. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In the verses that follow these verses, and especially verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, we're told clearly that we cannot work our way into the good graces of God and by our good works hope to earn a place in His kingdom. And here in these first three verses, in the most simplistic of terms, we're told the reason why we'll never be able to earn our way into God's good graces. Simply put, until God does His miraculous work of salvation within a person's soul, within our soul, we are dead, completely dead, undeniably dead. We look dead, we think dead, we act dead, and we are inhabited by demonic spirits of death. And we conduct all the matters of our daily lives in a manner that not only speaks back to our own soul that we are dead, but it speaks that same message of death to anyone and everyone we encounter. We are dead. And no good thing, no good works can come out from a person who is dead. Let me read these words for us again. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. With these words, God has again been gracious to my particular manner of receiving and processing things that I read. Here he uses strong, clearly defined imagery that leaves me no doubt about the condition from which I have come. Until that blessed moment back in 1974 when I finally and forevermore gave my heart to Christ. This was my exact condition of soul. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And I walked daily through the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. I was a son of disobedience. And I walked with other sons and daughters of disobedience, conducting my life in the lusts of the flesh and of my mind. I was in every way a child of wrath, and all my friends were just like me. Each of them, each of us, daily influencing each other, spreading sin and corruption to everyone who would join with us. I recall as 
Isaiah stood before the Lord. He became so aware. He saw the Lord so holy and he became so aware of his own sin. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live with a people, amongst the people of unclean lips. That was my life. I lived in amongst that which I was because that is where I felt most comfortable with other sons and daughters of disobedience. Now, did we know that we were doing that? Of course not. Of course not. How could we have known? We were all in such a condition of death that we could not perceive anything of value. I hesitate to bring up this next imagery, but it's so popular with our culture today. Hollywood has been so prolific in producing television programs and movies that depict this very condition. People walking around dead. And in their cleverness, they have made the conditions of death both entertaining and strangely attractive to our imaginations. The offerings from Hollywood that seem to be most attractive to our minds and our emotions are those programs that have to do with vampires and then those that have to do with the walking dead. Those are vivid depictions of the ravages of death. And instead of fascinating and entertaining us, those programs should be speaking a message to our souls about the hopelessness of that condition. But then again, the same could also be said of some of those other less vivid portrayals of death. Programs like The Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother, and so many other of those sitcom-type programs just like them. And even on to the late-night shows like Letterman and O'Brien and all those others like that. They are more subtle, yes, in their depiction of the condition of death. There's no obvious decay showing on their skin surfaces. But do they not clearly reveal the awful death that's spoken about here in today's passage? Death has many faces. And the prince of the power of the air spoken about here, he's clever. Very clever. He's able to match such things perfectly to your and my viewing pleasure. My wife and I enjoy programs about police detectives. And this week, we were able to resurrect some old episodes of Columbo. Those were the days that we thought were somewhat, we use the word clean. But it has occurred to me to ask, are those programs, their content, really any better for us than the vampire movies? Should we be enjoying, should we be attracted to those kinds of entertainment? I confess we have not resolved that dilemma yet, but we need to. Should we just turn off the television set? But as we view those programs... Most of them depict real-life conditions that go on all around us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, even in many of our own families. Now, my wife and I, we are insulated. We live insulated lives, and we enjoy that insulated life, tranquility. Some of it has to do with our ages. Some of it has to do with our 
retirement from the rigors of daily employment. But each day, we sit comfortably behind the protected walls of our home there on Valley Road. And we are ignorant, very ignorant of most of the real pain and suffering taking place in the rest of the world. Even that which might be taking place just right down the street from us. And were it not for television, we might be completely unaware. But thinking back on our former way of life, I can know what's taking place out there. This vivid description given to us here in these words of Scripture, they describe us. We were so oblivious to the real condition of our soul. In those days, neither my wife nor I thought much about God and not much about the consequences of our behavior. As I mentioned a moment ago, our lives were exactly as these words portray us. We did not know it, but as we walked daily through the course of this world, we were truly dead in our trespasses and sin. And no, we didn't know that the prince of the power of the air was always at our shoulder, working within us, pointing out and encouraging us on to all those many fun possibilities of trespasses and sin. And we did trespass. Think about that word for a moment, trespass. It implies that we go places and we step across lines that belong to someone else that we have coveted what another person has and we've encroached into their territory, their lives. And often that means that we have also taken something that belongs to them. And too often that thing that we have robbed from them is their innocence, their morality, their happiness. But such is the common lifestyle of those who do not have God's whispering voice in their spirit to tell them that they're wrong and that they should not be doing those things. Now fortunately for my wife and I, we probably seldom if ever broke a criminal or a civil law, but we sure did break a lot of moral laws. Now, lest you think that these words only apply to my wife and I, may I say to you clearly and plainly that such has also been true for each one of you. Until you came to that condition of soul in which the Spirit of Christ came to live within you, you did many of the very same things that we have done. Now how do I know that? How do I know that you have done many of these same things? I know it because these words tell me so. Without the presence of salvation and the presence of the Spirit of Christ living within us, this is who each one of us is. Let me read these words for us again. Verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's the condition. Now, what is the behavior? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are those who do not have Christ as their Savior. 
among whom also we all, listen, did you hear those words? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Some of us like to be intellectual. Some of us just go by our feelings, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. But we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now notice the emphatic nature in which God presents these words, leaving you and me to have no other response other than to say, yes, yea and amen, you're right, Lord. This is, or at least it was, me. Verse 3 again. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. May I ask, are you able right now to admit, to confess, Scripture calls it, are you right now able to admit that this is you, or at least this was you? And the only reason that this was you is because you really have truly given your heart, surrendered your heart to Christ, and now you know longer that way. Again, the question, are you able to understand and admit that this was you? Now again, let me say to you, on the authority of these words, yes, this is, this was you. Thinking back on our former way of life, my wife and I have often questioned how a pure and holy God could take such wretched beginnings as ours and work them all together for our good and then to bring us to where we are today. And again, we're a long way from being where we need to be. But we at least now have Christ. And we do not have that prince of the power of the air living within us anymore. Yes, he influences us on a moment-by-moment basis. But thanks be to God, Christ now has that position in us. But how could a pure and holy God take such wretched beginnings as ours and work them all together for good and to bring us to where we are today? The verse that these thoughts first evoke into my mind is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. But during those days of disobedience, of walking through the course of this world, we did not love Him. And we were not aware that we were called according to His purposes. And so then why should He have worked all those things together for good for us? I have to conclude that it's the next verse, the following one, Romans 8.29, that brought us to where we are today. Romans 8.29 tells us, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That word foreknew has to do with love. For some reason that we'll probably never really understand, God loved us. 
even long before my wife and I ever met each other, and especially long before we ever met and received Christ as our Savior. He loved us. And He dragged us kicking and screaming into salvation. His grace. Thinking back on all that I've done, I do wish that these words of our text were not describing me. I grieve because they do. I do wish that I had not left the trail of pain and suffering and corruption that followed in my wake. May I give you that quick visual picture? Living in Florida as a young man, I often observed boats literally flying down a waterway. The driver of the boat not paying any attention to anything except his own enjoyment. Along those channels were signs that tell the boat drivers to leave no wake. Else those other boats that are moored along the seawalls would be just slung, smashed against the walls and damaged. And then also other boats passing by would also be disrupted. But that never seemed to occur to the one who was caught up enjoying the thrill of his speed. And such was the same with me and my lifestyle as I trespassed and I sinned, leaving a wake of hurt and broken lives in my trail. Again, think with me for a moment. Have you ever taken the time to consider those trespasses and those sins in your life before Christ? Perhaps God would have you, have me, to do as King David did. Listen to David's plea in Psalm 139. He cries out to God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You say, but I am now saved. And God has already forgiven me of all my past sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's true. That's true. But may I say that the request that is here in Psalm 139 can never hurt you or me. God is always good. He is trustworthy. And He'll never hurt you and me wrongly simply because we ask the question. David was already saved, certainly, already saved. But yet he was willing to ask the question, why? Why? It's because God knows, and through the words of David, we get to know that sin is a clever predator. It has the ability to hide within the corners of our soul. And we'll also often bring predispositions for certain sins with us into our relationship with Christ. Pride. Lust. Judgmental spirit. And just any number of other predispositions. Pride probably being by far the worst. We're called sons of pride when we don't know Christ as our Savior. That was Satan's biggest predisposition 
was pride. My favorite writer, Oswald Chambers, gives the definition of pride capsulized down to my claim to my right to myself. My pride is bespoken in my claim to my right to myself. It's one of the deepest ingrained sins that gets resurrected within us no matter how long we've been saved. May I ask you, do you still hold on to your claim to your right to yourself? Do you like for things to be your way? Even and especially to the disregard of others. The blood of Christ has the ability to cleanse you and me from all our sins. But part of that cleansing requires repentance. That was the reason that God sent John the Baptist on ahead of Jesus to prepare the way of salvation by first convincing men and women of sin and bringing them to repentance. Have you, do you, repent of your sins regularly? May I urge you that forgiveness is only one surrender away. Listen to these words of 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. May I read those words again? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we believe that that moment back there in time when we gave our life to Christ and He cleansed us of all sin, that that is forevermore. And that that blood that He shed then was a one-size-fits-all takes care of every other sin. There is some truth to that, but there's more that you and I should know. And that is that sin does resurrect itself within us. When we least expect it, when we least understand what's taking place. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to understand that we have predispositions towards sin. And the predator always comes for us. But he tells us next, but if we confess our sins, if we repent of them, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness truly is only one surrender away. We who have truly received Christ must understand that we are now without excuse. We're no longer dead. We are no longer dead. Verse 1 tells us, You he made alive, me he made alive who were once dead in trespasses and sin. We are alive and our hearts and our minds are alive and we can now understand what we need to do. And we are without excuse. I must tell you that for myself, I count my sins today to be far more wretched than all those that I've been caught up in before I received Christ as my Savior. And why? Because then, I truly did not know better. I was dead and completely unaware of the real nature of my behavior and the real nature of, of what God 
thinks about sin. But now I do know better. Now every time that I'm about to sin, God is gracious and He sends a check into my spirit telling me to stop before I do it. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Thanks be to God for His loving reminders. And thanks be to God for the good work that He has begun in us, which He will be faithful to complete, His Word tells us. And thanks be to God for this truth here in verse 1. And you and me, he made alive, who are dead in our trespasses and sin. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.